Advent is a season of waiting, of preparing, of hoping. Each Sabbath we listen to the prophets from old. We light candles. We expect the coming of Christ. Listen for a word from God in Isaiah chapter 7. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest highs. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, the word of God. May this light point us to the coming light of Christ. We drop into a conversation this morning between a prophet and a king. Those are occupations we don't know so much about. It helps us to name this, really. This is why so many of our stories from Bible sound like once upon a time. It's a story between a prophet and a king in the year is 700 BCE, 735. Sometimes we know precisely where we are in these stories because of name dropping in the scriptures. In the days of Ahaz, son of Judah, son of Isaiah, king of Judah, and on and on and on. Sometimes we know where we are in the Bible stories. We're in Isaiah chapter 7 today if you want to open a Bible. In the days of Ahaz, there's trouble. Ahaz is troubled. His people are troubled too. Their bodies quake and shake and shiver like trees in a windstorm. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet and also a poet. This is Isaiah 7. Ahaz is not new to trouble. His nation, Israel, they've allowed their differences to divide them emotionally, socially, physically, nationally. They fought themselves. They fought themselves. What becomes so bad Inside a nation, you need to fight yourself. According to the biblical storytellers, it's money, the economic distribu distribution of the goods. So as we drop into the drama this morning, remember, these are the people that date back to Abraham and Sarah when God said, I'm going to bless you so you will pass the blessing forward. I will bless you so you will make a great family and a nation and I'll pass the blessing forward. The entire earth will know God is good. Uh, if this is Netflix, we're on season 30-something. We're in that large story, 735 BCE. Everyone has to decide how to stay alive. The northern kingdom of Israel, they're taking a chance forming a coalition with a neighbor, Syria, against what will become the larger problem, Assyria. The southern kingdom of Israel, King Ahaz, who's the son of King David, he doesn't want to join that coalition in the north. When Ahaz refuses to fight, there's a plan created that they'll attack him, depose him, and they'll install someone who will work with the revolt movement. The king is terrified. 
God tells Isaiah, the prophet, go find that frightened king. You'll find him at the end of the aqueduct, the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road that heads out to the public laundry. In other words, the king's taken a long walk. When you find him, tell him. Listen, be calm. Do not fear. Do not panic. This coalition, it's going to fail. These two warriors that are threatening you, they're an old smoldering stumps. It's a pun from the ancient world, an inside joke. Tell him it won't happen. This won't last. In a few generations, they'll all be gone. So stand in faith now, Ahaz. I can't make you do it. You have to choose it. Ahaz must still be shaking because he's not persuaded. So Isaiah 7, verse 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. If your body is shaken, ask for a sign. If you have an instinct the coalition is bad news, ask for a sign. If you need reassurance, ask for a sign. Do it, Ahaz. Take God seriously. But he won't ask. Is it because Ahaz remembers from long ago Moses' warning, don't put the Lord your God to a test? Is it that? Is it Ahaz being overly righteous? Is he being pious or passive aggressive? Is he simply fearful to the bone? Isaiah appears a little irritated with Ahaz the king. Now I can imagine a little thunder roll or whatever it is, the soundtrack that prophets use. This is what Isaiah says. Verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself, he'll give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey, and by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, by that time this will all be gone. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are now in dread will be deserted. If we want to know what happens with King Ahaz, we'll have to turn to 2 Kings 16. Maybe this afternoon you can open your Bible and do that. That's where the story is fully recorded. Ahaz refuses the council to listen and be calm and wait. And instead, he sends a message to the emperor of Assyria, the superpower. I am your servant. I am your son. Can he really say that? This is King Ahaz. He is a servant and a son of God. Did he really mean to use that family language? But he does. He says to Assyria, I am your son and your servant. Get up here and rescue me. Along with the message, he sends a bribe. From inside the temple in Jerusalem, he, he pulls some silver and gold off the walls. King Ahaz, he looks at all of his options. He goes rogue. He chooses the other superpower. The king can't escape his own fears, so he acts on them, looking for partners in all the wrong places. Isaiah told him, you have a defender, you have God. King Ahaz says, I can't see it. I can't see how this ends well, so I'll put my money with Assyria. It's interesting, in the very next chapter, Isaiah 8, God says, don't be like these people. Don't fear what they fear and dread what they dread. Keep your eyes on me. And it's after this incident between the prophet and the king, the prophet Isaiah falls silent. For several hundred years, he withdraws. He, he ties up his parchment, his word from the Lord. 
He won't speak again until there's a new king to take charge of Israel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child. She will bear a son and she will name him Emmanuel. This is the text that Regina and Carlisle read earlier. We recite and we sing this one verse at Christmas time, often here in our sanctuary, often on this very weekend. This particular weekend, candlelight concert for La Sierra University. This is year number 73. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Someone usually sings those lines during the candlelight concert. There will be a song or two about Emmanuel. It will come up in somehow, if not in Handel's Messiah. Now, I'm not a specialist in George Friedrich Handel's Messiah. We have professionals on our campus where anecdotes and tales simply spill out of their mouth without consulting any of their notes. This is our music department professors, brilliant. When I think of Handel's Messiah, it's the Hallelujah Chorus, because, right? I visualize the concert wear and the black tie and the tuxedos that fill the sanctuary, the sequins and the generally uncomfortable clothes that look so fine. It's the Hallelujah Chorus. We, we pull out all this Baroque choral display. That chorus written for Easter, we sing at Christmas. Take a moment this weekend and remember some of your favorite candlelight concert moments here in the sanctuary over the years. While you're at it, subscribe to the church Advent vlog. Some of our members are sharing daily. There's, there's a vlog for you to view. Many of the people are talking about the candlelight concert and the music that fills this sanctuary, specifically candlelight. And if you didn't get to see it last night, remember it airs one more time this afternoon virtually. I have a few favorite memories of candlelight concerts over the years, but there is one moment, one memorable moment at the top, the year the music department brought an important Hollywood narrator. He arrived for dress rehearsal here early on a Friday, and, and then he asked for a place to relax between his haystack supper and showtime. The music professor said, no, 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 we'd rather actually have you right here. The front row would be best. He said, I'd rather relax elsewhere. You could already tell this is going to be good. So he's given an approximate time to come back to the sanctuary and told where to sit. And when the time came and he wasn't in his seat, I was sent to retrieve him. I found him asleep in the youth pastor's office. His tuxedo jacket was over the back of the couch. So I knocked on the door and I woke him. I'll show you the way to the sanctuary. And he wandered into conversation. Uh, conversation is a little generous. He, he wandered verbally, but it was fascinating. He was preparing to read the biblical account the night of Jesus was born, and he was philosophizing over this literature with these large existential questions, not much moving off the couch. I told him it's call time. What's the thing you fed me for dinner, he asked. It was, you called it a, a stack? Did you call it a stack? Haystacks, yeah. Hmm. It's a, it's a taco salad, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yes, and also, it's call time, important Hollywood narrator. And he came to the sanctuary, and we did hear Isaiah that night. We've become accustomed to doses of Isaiah set to these Baroque scores that sound like this.
Now pardon, I, I don't mean disrespect to Handel or the arts or our enjoyment of it and the next time I listen to any of the 50-some movements of Handel's Messiah, I'd like to have King Ahaz and his quaking community in mind. I'd like to have the nation of Israel in mind, a people, God's people, who put their health and well-being and morality and character on the line. When I take in the stunning scores and the instrumentation, Handel's Messiah, I'd like to take them in next to the prophet Isaiah and remember the children and the teens and the families and the grandparents and the farmers and the artisans and the slaves and the servants and the small business owners and the cities. I'd like to remember that once upon a time there were bodies quaking and shaking and shivering with panic and for whom this invitation to listen, be calm, do not fear, do not panic, that was tough. Isaiah asked the people, to courageously see the world differently. See it different than your neighbors see it. Resist joining the armies. And it was tough. The role of prophetic material in our Bible, it's not simply or only predicting the future. We've said this often around here. The role of the prophet, it's always to call the people back to God. So if we use these passages as a litmus test, do you believe Jesus was born of a virgin? we're actually missing even larger truths, church family. So let me say clearly to Seventh-day Adventist Christians listening today, what comfort is it to King Ahaz, to Isaiah, to their families to be told, wait 700 years and finally God will be God. Just hang on 700 years. Is it really enough to put a road sign in Isaiah's hand pointing to the future and, and say, hang on, people? Is it enough for Matthew and his community and tell the people to hang on and watch, watch something more is coming in the future? Is it enough for Adventist Christians today to carry a road sign in our devastated world that says, watch, God's future is up ahead. We promise there's a time coming when God will be God at last. If this is how we want to read scripture, someone will need to explain then the most obvious challenge with a literal reading of prophecy and these texts. If you're to call the child Emmanuel, call him Emmanuel. But 700 years later, when Isaiah's prophecy is repeated by Matthew, the voice of God comes as an angel to Joseph, who's afraid. Matthew 1, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The hopes and dreams of every generation matter. So do the hopes and dreams of God. In Isaiah's time, God promises to be present in the journey. And when you look at the child that was born in Isaiah's time, every, every time someone says its name, Emmanuel, you'd be reminded, God is in this journey with us this very moment. That battle, the coalition that was troubling King Ahaz, it didn't happen. The promise was fulfilled. God asked Ahaz to see the world differently. Act courageously. Don't be drawn into the battles. See something beyond what your senses are showing you today. The hopes and dreams of every generation, they matter. So do the hopes of God. 700 years later, Matthew fills this promise up with new meaning as a baby is born into another quaking, shaking, shivering community. And this baby truly does crack the story wide open as God says, enough. 
The suffering servant, Isaiah, calls this baby, this is Jesus, who saves creation from sin. When you look at Jesus, by the way, you look at me and remember Emmanuel, God with us. I'm coming to live where you live. God fills up and fills out the old promise with brand new meaning. The hopes and dreams of every generation matter. The hopes of God as well. God promising to be God with us in this very moment. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, come thou long-expected Jesus, it encompasses all of these longings. Here we are again, quaking and shaking and shivering, and, and God's asking us to listen. Be calm. Do not fear. Do not panic. Have courage to see beyond what you can see today. Don't be drawn into the battle and please hear me when I say that the battle can be raising a three-year-old and it can be a nation raging a fever. We listen for wisdom in these old stories as we're writing the current chapters. When Israel is threatened, they have options. We don't see the councils where they call the leaders all together and they ask the questions. What does God require of us in this moment? We don't see sons and daughters of uh, uh, in their conversations asking, what does the creator ask of us? What options should we take off the table? Because we live under the mercy of the one who created the universe. We don't get to see their family meetings where the questions are asked. I've always wondered what could happen if one and then another one and then another son or daughter and a few more simply refused to be drawn into the battle. Refuse the panic, refuse to scheme, refuse to let ourselves be torn from one another, refuse to be against a neighbor, refuse to be against a perceived enemy. What happens when one and then another and then another of us live courageously into the promises of God? Brene Brown in her podcast this month says, courageous people have soft fronts and hard spines and wild hearts. Deep waiting it can develop deep courage, especially courage to be for one another, courage to be community. I simply must ask the most obvious question then of Advent 2020, what is the Christian response in pandemic? I keep hearing so many of us say, well, everyone has to make up their own minds, and what about masks, and what about traveling, and what about gatherings, and how to read data, and which reports to trust, trust and what do we accept as truth, and We'll just all have to do what's best for our own family. Take time over the weekend to listen to the folks at Spectrum Magazine, Adventist Forum. They discussed two books on Friday on the topic of Christians and pandemic. N.T. Wright's book, which I referenced a few weeks ago, God and the Pandemic, and the Adventist scholar Hans Gutierrez in his newest book, The Time of Coronavirus, Chronicles of Pandemic. What happened to Israel can happen to me and you out of arrogance or despair. We, we are quite capable of constructing a world without God and a household unto ourselves. Might and money, they're the players in every story. In the Bible, in every story we witness, might and money. The only safe people in any story are people with might and money. 700 BCE or 2020 AD. Some wealthy counties, countries now are ordering excessive amounts of vaccines so they can vaccinate their population many times over. What, what does this mean for poor countries or wealthy citizens who get specialized treatment? Well, what does this mean for the masses? All the while we see exhausted medical crews. Oh, we see you this December. Friends, we're people of the long haul under a covenant with the creator of the universe. Deep waiting calls for deep courage. 
In pandemic, our first questions have to be, what does God require of us at this moment? The prophet Isaiah says that, it, that it's possible for quaking, shaking, shivering people to make courageous choices. It remains among my most memorable early shelter-at-home at scenes in a grocery store in front of an empty refrigerator case where the eggs are typically stacked and a woman was looking this direction and that direction because there were no eggs. There are no eggs. And she's looking around at all the shoppers moving so quickly around her. She's older and she's shopping alone and she's holding still. And I can see her looking at all the other people. Do you really need all these eggs? Do you really need all these eggs? It's been a while since we've all shared these scenes or shared the memes or made fun of ourselves hoarding, consumers hoarding. She's standing in the middle of the store with tears. And I'm thinking about how much energy it took her to get dressed and, and to get her cane and her purse and her grocery cart and to actually get inside the store. And all of us are moving around so quickly around her while the, the tears begin on her face. I'd like to tell you that this scene ends like kind of in a squishy, soft, lovely way that someone came and took eggs out of their cart and put, her, and put them in her cart and we could all say amen and eat lunch and feel good. The elderly lady in the middle of the grocery store with an empty cart. That's my visual this week. These are times for courage. The world's not tamed by all of our knowledge or all of our technology or our globally connected, savvy economies. We are learning, aren't we? The world is not tamed by humans. Isaiah reminds us the world is tamed by God. These are times for courage. These are times to align ourselves with the mercy of heaven. There is a time, the prophet Isaiah says, when people will stream into the temple in Jerusalem. People didn't go to Jerusalem for fun, for meaning. They went to Nineveh. But Isaiah sees a time when the witness of Jerusalem, when the witness of God's people will draw the masses, when the testimony of a God of heaven will be so compelling People will come. Maybe pandemic could be such a time. Amen.